You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. Good. Actually, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll uh, study together. Jesus, we thank you that you bring us out this morning. You bless us to know the know who you are, um, know the gospel, and you wake us up and uh, you move us. We are thankful that we are here, and we pray that your Spirit will be with us to give us understanding. Convict us, and not only not only convicting us, but leading us to live a different life because of what we learn about who you are and believing in you and learning to grow more in relationship with you and loving you and loving people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, um, <clears throat> I thought last couple of weeks have been pretty heavy <laughs> stuff that I've been talking about. You know, last week I told you that God hates you <laughs> as a sinner. Uh, some of the heavy stuff. I, so I thought I'd do something very light, something that's you know kind of not so heavy in my standard. Uh, so I thought it'd be kind of fun to look at Judas and Peter together. That we kind of went through these two characters. They were in our text for past three weeks or so, but we really never you know dove into who they are and what they're like. And what's interesting about both Peter and Judas is that they've both been with Jesus, right? They both are, were called by Jesus to live everything, and they follow Jesus. They both were trained. They both were, uh, had responsibilities. They both were friends with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They saw miracles done by Jesus. They, both of them, were there with Jesus all along. And, but both of them also betrayed Jesus, you know, obviously it differs in the different extremity. You know, one sold out literally Jesus and one denied Jesus, but they both betrayed Jesus. But what we see is at the end, well, they start the same. They go through the same, but in the end, they are very, they have very different ending, both of them. So really, it's interesting to compare the two. Both who started the same, who went through the same, who both betrayed Jesus, they end up completely differently. So it's kind of like, you know, I on the newsletter I give example of like a high school reunion. You know, you you both, you know, you have a bunch of people your class who's gone through same education, and um, you meet ten years later, fifteen years later, twenty years later. I don't know if I told you, a lot of my friends that I graduated from high school, they're all like CFO, CEO of startups, and you know, president of this company, it's depressing. I would never go to my high school reunion. Um, but it just turns out that way, and reunion is always about, look what I've become, and there are some surprising ones, right? You never thought this person would accomplish that much, and that person has, and you thought this person was so smart, and so popular, and so, you know, cool, and he ends up being, you know, not much, of making not much of himself. So there are surprising ones. Uh, which is really interesting. What happened along the way, but really the truth is, you, you, you notice either their failures or greatness along the way if you pay close attention to them. So it's kind of comparing, comparing these two are whatever happened to them, right? Whatever happened to them, they started the same, went through the same, but they ended up completely differently. So let's go ahead and look on what happened to them and we'll ask some good questions to reflect on. So Judas... <clears throat> this is Judas Iscariot. <clears throat> there are eight men in uh, New Testament named Judas. So you can, you know, obviously know that for the other seven, it's not a very good name to have. They have to kind of say, no, no, I'm not that Judas. You know, I'm the good Judas. Um, Judas himself, Judas Iscariot is mentioned 20 times in the Gospels and twice in the Acts of, uh, <clears throat> Acts of Disciples. But overall, we know very little about Judas. Right? What we do know is he's not from Galilee, he's not fisherman, like the others. He's different from the others. He's from a different town. His dad's name is Simon. And we also know that he was chosen like everyone else, and he gave up everything. He must have gave up everything and followed Jesus. Right? He spent three years with Jesus, doing and seeing everything as other, others have done. Um, 
And we also know that he served as a money guy. He was a treasurer, sort of like a, the bookkeeper of Jesus' ministry. Uh, and he, so he handled money. He was a business person with the, among the disciples. And there may be surprising that Jesus did receive offerings. Jesus did handle money. Ministry takes money, right? Ministry costs money. And the Judas' job was to take care of the money. So that money and ministry kind of go together. Uh, there are, I don't know, kind of necessary evil, if you will, because there's so much temptation with money, but ministry takes money. Uh, one of the things I hate about life life being so small is that I have to handle money. I hate handling money. Not because I'm not a greedy person. You know, I don't care about money. I mean, I need money, but I don't like money. I don't care for money. I don't want money. But uh, I can be clumsy with money. Like, oh, what happened to this money in this amount? What happened to that? I could lose your tithing check. <laughs> and I've done it before. I'm like, oops. Um, so because of that, I hate handling money. So I, my hope is that we'll grow large and among of you, you know, there will be a treasurer for the church who would handle money with accountability with another partners. And Church of Nazareth really has a good system um, to for the church to handle money. So there's always somebody else when you're counting money and the way that it's processed, it's signed by people. It's all very well handled. Um, we have a structure to do that and we can actually fully uh, incorporate that into our system. So, so I won't have to handle money. Um, and so there won't be any temptation uh, for us. But money is tempting. And you see and you have heard many people within the church, pastors, being tempted and falling because of money, right? And I think that may have been the case with Judas. Because in the Bible, Judas is called, accused as a thief. And it happens in John 12. Uh, this is a story... I just read this story for Hannah last night. This is a story where Jesus is at a dinner and sinner, a woman comes and um, she's a sinner and everyone's going, oh, what is she doing here? And she has an alabaster jar, which is a perfume jar. She breaks the perfume jar and she, you know, anoints Jesus with the perfume jar. And there's Judas, the money guy. And Judas says, what are you doing breaking that expensive, you know, jar of perfume? You could have sold that and we could have given the money to the poor. And so he, it's interesting, he appears to be generous he appears that he cares for the poor, but he doesn't because it says in the Bible, that's not what he cared for, and he says he was a thief. But Jesus loved Judas, right? Nonetheless, Jesus loved Judas. Jesus served Judas. Uh, you can see throughout the gospel, there's many mentioning of Jesus saying, there's one of you is going to betray me. That's a warning not to other disciples, but also to Judas. He's warning Judas, are you going to do this? What's in your heart? Check your heart. And you can see that Jesus loved Judas, right? Even to the last moment, Jesus served Judas the bread and the cup. And he won Jesus, right? Um, and he washed his feet too. So Jesus, nonetheless, loved Judas. Knowing that, one, you know, one day, when the time comes, he's going to betray him. And there's a prophecy concerning Judas. Uh, one of uh, the one particular one is in Psalm chapter 41, verse 9. And it says, Even my bosom friend in whom I trusted, who ate of my bread, has lifted the heel against me. And this is the same part that Jesus actually quotes this in John chapter 13 when he's talking about the one who's going to betray him. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Peter in his sermon says, Friends, the scripture had to be Fulfill which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. Right. So Peter later understood what Jesus meant when he was uh, quoting the Psalm, uh, Psalm of David. Uh, Zechariah chapter eleven thirteen talks about a good shepherd, shepherd being betrayed by bad shepherd. Uh, with 30 pieces of silver. And in Mark 27 verse 3 says, He brought back, Judas brought back 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. So there is a prophecy concerning Judas, right? Judas' betrayal with silver and all of that. It's kind of cool. A few years ago I watched a movie, some of you did too, about Dracula. And in the end, they had like this thing about Dracula tracing it back to Judas. Dracula, you know, is, you know, the silver hurts 
Dracula, because Dracula, the first Dracula was Judas. He was hung himself. He was raised from the dead. He couldn't die. That's why he's afraid of cross because he betrayed Jesus and the silver hurts him because of this and all of that. It makes so much sense. It makes sense. I know. It's like, man, that is a that is a great plot. Not true, but that's a great plot. And I thought it was really cool, right? Um, but anyway, the truth is, Jesus, Judas did betray Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 47, While he was still speaking, suddenly a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the Son of Man? So we know the story. We went through this. Judas comes up, and he greets Jesus with a kiss, which is, you know, typical greeting in that culture uh, with those two people who are intimate. Um, who are respectful of each other. Jesus, Judas betrays Jesus with kiss. It's a kiss of death. It's not bachkalupi, kiss of wolf, but it's a bachio di more. <laughs> bachio di more. <clears throat> Let's look at Peter. What do we know about Peter? Simon Peter. We know he was a fisherman when Jesus first met him. He's a leader among his fishermen friends, right? So he's actually a business leader because he had a boat, he had supplies, he had you know partners, and he had employees. So Peter's a fisherman from Galilee, and he was a, he was a leading person, right? Um, and we know also that he left everything, all his boats and supplies and all of that. And he followed Jesus. What else do we know about Peter? There's a lot about Peter. So what else do we know about Peter? We also we also read about Peter today. Peter's full name is Simon Peter. Hmm? So his first name is Simon. Simon is his Peter's old name. Not first name. They don't go by first name and last name. Wait, then Judas Iscariot. Iscariot is where he's from? That's where he's from, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. What do we know about Peter? He did what? What stories do we know about Peter from the Bible, from the Gospels? Walk. He tried to walk on the water. He tried to walk on the water, which is what we read today in our uh, in our lectionary reading today. What else? He's the one who denies Jesus. We know that we're gonna go through that, and he's the one who also confessed who Jesus was, right? And he's the one who also like tried to stop Jesus, and Jesus called him Satan. We know a lot about Peter, right? Peter's always there. He was one of the three. Right, he was one of the three. He was. He's always mentioned first. Didn't he also say did not um, when he was dying? I'm going far ahead right now. Um, when he was dying, he said to not uh, kill him the same way Jesus was killed. His body. Right. In the end, uh, it's recorded that you know Peter died, was crucified upside down because he didn't want to die in the same way that Jesus did. Right. So we know a lot of Peter. Peter's well, he one known. <laughs> he also um, asked Jesus, "Who are you?" And Jesus said, "Who do you say that I am?" And <coughs> Peter says, "You are the Messiah." Yeah, you are the Messiah, Son of God. Right? Yeah, Peter does confess. So we know a little about Peter's. Right? We know he's has a little bit of temper. He's got issues. He's the rough one, kind of hard one to be. But he was one of the one of the three. Right? One of the three. So, here, at the end, in the chapter, in verse, chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus says, in your reading there, Simon, Simon, listen, Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat. Now, you ask a good question. Is, is Simon his first name? Simon is his old name. You know, in the Bible, everyone, when their life changes, their name changes, right? Abraham changed to... Abraham changed to Abraham, Abraham right? <laughs> right. Saul changed to Saul. Paul. <laughs> Jacob changed to uh, Israel, right? When you life change, and you know the moment when Jacob changed his name, when he fought with the angel, right? And he's now from now on, you'll be called Israel. So when an event occurs in your life and you leave your old life behind, you become a new person, you become a new identity, you have new Lord, you're your name changes. That's kind of typical in the Bible. So, when Peter confessed of who Jesus is, Jesus said, you are now Cephas, Peter, 
And upon this rock, the rock, <laughs> the rock, <laughs> um, I will build my church, right? So Simon is Peter's old name. Peter is his new name, new identity. And Jesus here calls Peter by his old name, Simon, Simon. So what this is, this is interesting because Jesus is referring that you're going back to your old ways. What's, what's going to end up is you're going to deny that confession which brought you to be a new person, new creation. You're going to go back to your old ways, denying who I am. Going back to the old ways. And some, most of us are familiar with this. Some of us are still struggling. Some, we know some of the, our friends who struggles about going back to the old ways, right? Just a struggle. You know, you're thinking and you're acting the same way you used to. Same way you became a, same way before you became a Christian. Same way you had a maturity and you feel like you're going back. You feel like you're going back. You're acting the same. You're saying the same things. You're hanging out with the same crowd and you just don't feel it. And sometimes we do go back. Sometimes we do revert back to where we were and it's, you recognize it and you see it and it's discouraging and it's disappointing and it's really depressing. And you come to a place where you wonder, like, am I really Christian? Am I, do I really believe this stuff? Am I just fooling myself? Have I really experienced? Have I really met Jesus? So Jesus' warning to Peter is that Satan is going to get you. You're going to go back to your old ways. So we need to ask, is Satan, is enemy getting to us? Is enemy succeeding? taking us back to our old ways. And we covered this one time, I think, out of the last 50 sermons, that we talked a lot about Satan. How does Satan work? The enemy works by lying, accusing, right? Accusing, lying, and condemning. When we are tempted to go back to our own ways, Satan will come and say, you know, that's who you are. Who do you think you are? You're not good. Jesus doesn't change you. You're the same. Just go do whatever you were doing before. And he brings us with shame and guilt. So that's how the enemy works. And Jesus here is warning Peter, you're going back to your old ways. Satan is going to come get you. But Peter denies it. In verse 33 he says, And he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and death. But Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you have denied three times. That you know me. But we know Jesus loved Peter. It's always kind of a difficult, rough one. I mean, I know as, as a pastor through the years, it's always the hard one, the one that it's really tough to deal with, that really gets to you, and you just develop that, that closer relationship. And you know that Peter was one of those. Jesus really loved Peter. So immediately following the verse, verse 32, Jesus said, But I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. Jesus, without a doubt, loved Peter knowing that he's going to betray him. And we hear about the betrayal of of Peter. Let's go ahead and read on on the bottom, chapter um, 22, verse 54. I'll read one verse and you read the next. Then they seized him and led him astray, bringing him into the high priest's house. But Peter was following at a distance. Then a servant girl, seeing him in the firelight, stared at him and said, This man also was with him. A little later, someone else on seeing him said, You are, you also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. (laughs) But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. At that moment, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. And you see what's happening here with Peter. And what's interesting is he's not really suffering. You know, nothing's really happening to him. He's just scared. Right? He's just scared. Servant girl, which is, you know, if you're a woman, you're the lowliest. If you're a servant, you're the lowliest. So this is a person of lowliest stature, you know, status. And servant girl accuses him. He said, no, I, I don't know. He's just scared. 
he's not getting arrested. There's a slight possibility, but at this point, it's pretty clear that people are not interested in disciples of Jesus. They just want to get Jesus. But he's just scared. And, you know, we look at this and we may think that, well, look at Peter. What a wimp. But you look at your life, I mean, I look at my life, and I can relate with you guys plainly, you know, plenty, because I didn't go to Christian school. I went to public school and university, and I, I worked in secular companies and corporations for years. I had a lot of, you know, non-Christian friends. Most of my friends are non-Christian. I can relate to you. When people talk about Jesus and make fun of Christianity and, and say stuff, and you just go quiet, right? And we may say, oh, look at Peter, he's a wimp. But we do this all the time. We stay silent. We deny. When our friends mention, when our, when our co-workers say something, we just go quiet. Peter's the one who confessed who Jesus is. Here, he's lying that he doesn't know Jesus when he already knows who Jesus is. We have confessed our confession and we sometimes do not speak. And not speaking also is a lie, right? So here's a Peter. And imagine how he must have felt when Jesus looked at him, right? How he must have felt. Imagine how Judas must have felt. But let's look at Peter first. Peter's response. Verse 62, it says, And he went out and wept bitterly. Some of you know this feeling. I know this feeling. That just the bitter disappointment of yourself. You know, you have that sick feeling in your stomach and you go, what have I done? Right? You're so ashamed, you're embarrassed. You feel so bitter. I know that feeling. Like, so ashamed of what you've done and you just don't know what to do with yourself. And Peter goes, what have I done? He went out and wept bitterly. Now, is that repentance? No, right? That's not repentance, but being convicted and Recognizing what ha- what you have done is actually the beginning. If it leads to something good, and being that what repentance is running, is turning around and running, and it, if that leads to running to Jesus, it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. So is Peter repenting? What we find out is in Luke chapter twenty four verse twelve says, "But Peter got up." This is when the girls came back reporting that Jesus tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. It says, but Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linens closed by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. As soon as he heard that Jesus was alive, after resurrection, what did he do? He ran. He ran to Jesus. You know, he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to look into Jesus' eyes. And he wanted to probably say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I have failed, but I love you. I didn't mean to. I want to change. See, that's repentance, right? Running to Jesus. That's repentance. And Peter did change. I mean, he's not a perfect man. He did become a changed man. So what about Judas? Let's look at Judas' response. <clears throat> Judas, as, you know, as well as Peter, also felt bad. He felt really bad. And in Mark chapter 27, verse 3, you have it in your uh, sermon guide. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. He said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. They're saying, we don't care. We got what we wanted. Go away. Throwing down pieces of silver at the time. He's like a little girl. Ah! He's... Acting it out. He's just throwing pieces of, you know, his silver that he got. And he departed and he went and hanged himself. You can see that Judas felt bad too. He felt really bad. He regretted doing it. He returned the money and he was really, really broken up about it. I mean, you can imagine, he must have been really broken up. But is that repentance again? No, right? That's not repentance. Repenting is not just feeling bad about it, feeling bad about what you've done and, you know, just simply telling people you're sorry. You know, repenting is not just crying and you feel bad and, 
you feel really bad and you're afraid of what's going to happen because of what you've done, that's not repenting, right? That's not repenting. You, you, you got to, you're feeling bad, you're crying, but you don't really hate what you have done. Right? You don't hate what you have done, you don't try to, you know, make it right with the people, you don't try to make it right with God and you just keep it in you, you're ashamed, you feel guilty and you become depressed and it haunts you. And sometimes it gets to the place where you kill yourself, right? You commit suicide because it had haunted you so badly. And you find no peace from it. And that's tragic. And that's exactly what happened to Judas. Acts chapter 1 verse 18 gives a little more details on what happened to Judas. It says, Now this man acquired the field with the reward of his wickedness. So we know that he was a thief. He was taking money from the money pocket. He was saving it for himself. And on the side business, he had acquired field. He bought land with money that he stole from Jesus' ministry. And falling headlong, he hung himself. He burst open in the middle. He fell. And all his bowels gushed out. So what it's saying is, Acts is recording that his body fell off when he was hanging himself and his guts spilled out, came out. And they call this land blood, the field of blood. And that's the end of Judas Iscariot. That's how he ended up. He never repented. So you know, it's not enough to feel bad. We know that not enough to feel bad, you have to run back to God. And be changed by grace of God. Judas never got there, but Peter did. So really the question for us is, what went wrong with Judas? What went wrong for him? They both kind of started the same, and they received the same amount of love, same amount of teaching. But in John chapter 6, verse 70, Jesus says, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is devil. So Jesus knew from early on, what was in the heart of Judas? We also read in Luke chapter 22 that Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the twelve. He let Satan in, into his heart. In Acts chapter 1 verse 24, when they're trying to pick another disciple to make it back twelve, it says, Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in, his, in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. To go to his own place. Judas knew exactly what his place was. Judas was exactly acting out of who he is. So what this says, and, and you know, people tend to say, and this is a confusing for some of us, is, you know, with all this prophecy of Judas betraying, Jesus kept telling, one of you are going to betray me. Did God make Judas do it? And it says, no, Judas, this is who he was. God didn't make Judas to do this. And also, Satan didn't make Judas to do this. And one thing we got to understand is, Satan doesn't make us to do things that we don't want to do. You can't say, devil made me do it. Because he doesn't. Satan cannot. Right? That's the beauty of who we are. We choose our own will and we are who we are. But Satan can empower us to do things that we want to do that is against what God wants for us. This is why you know people do horrible things. You watch some people and you say, how, how can they be like that? How horrible are they? And you know the truth is, there are people who are just evil. And they're evil, they have desires to be evil, and Satan just feeds them on that, just empowers them to be that way. So for us, you know, and, and sometimes we, we watch that, we have that done to us, and we see them doing it to others and doing it themselves, and we feel bad, we feel guilty, we feel like we want to help them, we want to do something for them, but they're going walking on the way to destruction. There's nothing, not much we can do. We can't feel guilty, we can't feel responsible for it. Some people are just evil. So what we need to understand is Judas is not a victim. He's just a fool. He's just a fool. So that's the story of Judas. He's no victim. God didn't make him do what he did and Satan didn't make him do what he did. 
But what's amazing from our story is God makes the greatest evil to do the greatest good. And we talked about this. God uses Judas, the evil wickedness of Judas, to bring, to go to the cross. God uses the greatest evil, greatest punishment in the known world, the crucifixion, to save the world. And that's the beauty of the, of the, of the gospel. So, it, you know, we can ask, so why? Why did Judas do it? And there's a whole lot of talk about it, you know. One talk is, uh, he's a political zealot, so he knew that Jesus wasn't going to be, you know, any, doing anything revolution, so maybe that's why he did, or he was jealous because Jesus was becoming famous, or I think the most likely is he was in it for the money, he wanted to cash out, he knew that Jesus was going to be done, so he wanted, he was looking for, you know, last cash out. And, you know, those are good questions, and we can try to figure out, try to understand. We don't, we'll never know, and it's a good thing we'll never know, but I think the more important question is, for us, as we read these stories and get to know these characters, the question is, could I be like Judas? Are you a Peter or a Judas? Could we betray Jesus? Could we turn to evil? And we know that what we can say is, you know, look at Judas, he's a bad guy. I'm a good guy. You know, I'm so glad I'm not like Judas. That's not what we can say, right? Because that's when we get in trouble. So what can we learn from Judas' failures? What can we learn from these two characters and what they have done and how their life ended? <clears throat> if you turn, I have five points that we can learn. Number one... <clears throat> Everyone fails, even the best among us. We know that Peter was the best, right? He was always listed first. He was in the inner circle of three, but he failed. He failed miserably. So we know that no one is completely shielded from failures and denying Jesus and falling and going back to our old ways sometimes. Everyone, we're prone to wander away from God. That's who we are, and we can fail. Number two, learning about Jesus is not good enough. It's not good enough, right? You can know so much about Jesus, but you have to believe it and make changes and live accordingly, right? You have to carry out what you know and what you learn. And you know, sometimes we can blame, oh, I didn't have the right teacher, I didn't go to the right church, I didn't get the right education. Um, but sometimes not. I mean, look at Judas. Look at Judas' education, his background, how much he knew about God. I mean, he went to seminary of Jesus. He was taught by Jesus. He knew all about it, right? I mean, imagine how Jesus taught the Old Testament. He would say, I was there. I can tell you all about Elijah. I can tell you all about him. You know, Daniel, David, I can tell you all about them. You know, I mean, he had the best teacher. And you know, today, we also have a really great access to learn so much about Bible. And in our church, we do a lot to, for you to learn about who, about the Bible, with, with Bible study and everything. And, and we make sure you do, right? We make sure you learn. But that's not enough, right? That's not enough. Because just learning about it is not enough. It says in James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers, and deceive themselves. If we don't carry out, become doers, we deceive ourselves thinking, Oh, I know so much about the Bible. I, I was a Bible quiz champion. You know, I know all about it. I can recite you know, all these prayers and you know, all these characters in the Bible, and you think, that you know somebody, you think of yourself as someone who, who you're not. You deceive yourselves. Unless you're doing, unless you're carrying out, unless you're believing, unless you're obeying. So, learning about Jesus is not enough. The question is, are you obeying what you're learning? Number three, <clears throat> being at church, young life, and ministry is not enough. It's great. To be part of that, but it's not enough, right? It's not enough. Not only do you need to be connected with the community of God and church and ministry, 
You need to be connected with God. You need to have a relationship with God. Right? I mean, look at Judas. He had a great community, right? He had best of best. He had 11 other disciples of Jesus and others, and you'd learn with Jesus, he had a great community, right? He had a great community. So it's not enough to just be part of the great church, part of a great ministry and go to great school, great, great Christian school, go to retreat, go to you know conference. It's not enough to just have that. We need, you need more than that. We need to experience God's work in our hearts personally. We need to have relationship with God, right? Through all of that, you know, you can say, I know Jesus. But really the point is, do you believe in Jesus? And not only believe in Jesus, in the end, do you love Jesus? Even demons believe in Jesus. But do you love Jesus? Knowledge is simply information, but love is what leads to transformation, right? I did a, I was the best man for my friend's wedding. <coughs> I did a best man talk. It was really awesome. I did really good. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, look at, you know, Dan, this is what he does for a living. He speaks in public. And yeah, so I did well. But I think it's common when you do, and if you ever become, had to do best man, what's really evident in when two person come and get married, and when you have found right person, and this is what I said, I know that my friend is marrying the right person, right girl, because he's changed. He's responsible, right? Um, he's faithful, and he cares about, you know, what he does, and how he looks, and how healthy he is, and, you know, he cares about relationship. He's become a different person. And that's what love does, right? Love transforms you. Knowledge does not. Love transforms you. So knowing Jesus... And being part of the church is not enough. You need to fall in love with Jesus. Number four, <clears throat> leading a ministry is not enough. And again, example of Judas is that he was a full-time ministry for three years. He was part of the greatest ministry ever. Uh, he was part of the staff with Jesus. He, you know, he did amazing things in his ministry and so many miracles and all of that. Feeding 5,000 so, really the point is, you, you can't be in a ministry and go to hell. Right? Being in a ministry is not enough. That's not what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian? Because you're a pastor, you're a Christian? Because you go to church, you're a Christian? Because you are on Young Life staff, you're a Christian? What makes you a Christian? Let me hear you guys answer that. What makes you a Christian? Loving Jesus. Loving Jesus. What else? What do you do when you love Jesus? You obey Him. You obey Him. You follow Jesus, right? It doesn't... Your position and your relationship with ministry, you, what you do in the ministry, it doesn't matter whether you're in Billy Graham ministry or amazing ministry, pastor, it doesn't matter what ministry you're in. If you don't love Jesus, it's not enough. Number five. I think this is, we covered this a few times in the past when we went through the Gospel of Luke. How your life concludes is far more important than how your life begins. You know, I cringe when, in a way, when people put so much into wedding, you know, so much effort into wedding, so much celebration, so much money into wedding. But, you know, you got to understand, and you look at people, and, you know, in our society, more than half of married people gets divorced. The wedding is not what's important, right? It's the last day of your marriage that's more important, right? Your baptism, your confession is not what's important. Your, you know, standing up at Young Life Camp at Woodliffe is not what's important. More, what's more important is the end of your life. What happens in the end is far more important than what happens in the beginning. And that's more important, right? And you look at Judas, and if you met Judas in first year with Jesus, you must have thought, man, look at him. He's got so much going for himself. He's doing really well. 
He's got Jesus as teacher. He's got this community. He's part of this ministry. He's doing really well. But that's not what matters. What happens at the conclusion of your life is far more important than how your life began. So if you feel like, you know, and you have friends who said, well, yeah, I started good. I went to Woodleaf. I got baptized. But, you know, I don't know. It really hasn't been going well for me. What do they need to do? They need to do what Peter did, right? Be broken up about it. And that's really what you, we pray for is for our friends who's gone, who's fell away, for them to be broken up. That they miss God. That they are sad. So they're broken up. So they'll run to Jesus, like Peter did. Run to Jesus. And have their life be changed because by the grace of God. And that's what I want for me, and that's what I'm for or all of you. I told you when we sing the benedictions, and that's what I think about. I want all of you, and I remember those who was part of who were part of it, Life Light, to finish the race, like Paul said, finish the race well. And in the when you meet Jesus, say Jesus to hear, "Well done, my good and faithful servant." Yeah, let me close it up. Two people, both chosen, both loved, both committed to Jesus. Both betrays Jesus. Both feel terrible about what they've done. But the ending is completely different. One runs to Jesus and one runs to destruction. It's horrible to think that how best among us fails, um, how the story ends for for Judas. And it would be completely devastating and depressing if the story ends there. Story ends with our failure, whether we make it or not. But the good news, the gospel that we treasure, that we hold, is that that's not the end. That we don't, we fail and we will fail, but Jesus doesn't fail us. And Second Timothy verse two, chapter thirteen says, "If we are faithless, He remains faithful." And that's really the essence of Christianity. It's not to boast of our faithfulness. It's basically to say, "I screwed up." But Jesus is faithful. What holds our relationship with God is not our faithfulness, but it's Jesus' faithfulness. What held Peter's relationship with God was Jesus' faithfulness, not his own. That's what we believe in, that we're faithful, even though we're faithless, that Jesus is faithful. So what are we to do? Think you know what we always go back right at life flight we love God we love people and um, I love how the story ends for Peter with Jesus you know with his betrayal one of my favorite part in the Bible is the breakfast that disciples have with Jesus you know the one at the beach bonfire and the fish and you know around the fire it's great scene and Jesus talks to Peter, right? This is in John chapter 21, verse 15. This is the last chapter in John. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus asked Peter, do you love me how many times? Three times. How many times did Peter betray Jesus? Three times, right? And you know, in that question, do you love me? Jesus is asking, what's in your heart now. What's in your heart? Because you know, after all, it's all matter of heart. Who has your heart? Is it Jesus or is it Satan? Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? If you love me, you will not lie. If you love me, you will not deny me. If you love me, you will stay with me and follow me and suffer as I did. And you know, that's Pretty much it. All of our problems, you know, yours and mine, is all about knowing. It comes down to this, this. Do you know that God loves you and do you love God? That's it. But it starts with knowing that God loves you, right? I told Hannah the other night, I told Hannah, Hannah, only thing you need to know in your life is that mommy and daddy love you and God loves you. That's it. And you know, my, our hope is that because by knowing the love of her parents for her, that she'll know the love of God. That's all that matters, right? 
Do you know that God loves you? And do you love God? That's all it comes down to. Because it comes down to whether you love God or hate God. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. I mean, there. we may try, like, you know, if, if I, with Hannah, you know, she would say, well, give you an example. We can talk about, um, Hannah, you need to do, go do your brain quest for three hours and I let you play with iPad for 30 minutes. And she may say, well, that's not fair. I want something better. What about, like, I do two hours of brain quest and, you know, and do one hour of, you know, playing an iPad. And I can come to the, okay, fine. You know, I'll work that out. And I see that in relationship with God, you know, you, there are, within that relationship works, but in the end, it comes down to where you have to decide, right? She can't say, you know, Daddy, I want to go, you know, smoke joint and, you know, shoot heroin and, you know, I'll be really careful. Would you let me do it? And I'm going to say, no. <laughs> right? I'm gonna, no, you're not doing that because I love you too much to let you do that and you won't do it. You need to obey me. If you love me, you trust me that I love you, then you do that. And it comes down to that. If she says, no, I want to do it my way. I don't care about you. I'm going to leave. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Right? Ultimately, it comes down to, do you love God? And obey God? And trust God? Or do you hate God? Okay, secondly, Jesus says in verse 17, after um, Peter has answered, and his last answer, uh, the answer to Jesus, when Jesus said, for the third time, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, I say that all the time to God, you know, in my prayer. When I struggle, I say, God, you know my heart. You know that I love you. I love you. And I was reading this, and I was convicted that I don't always think further to where Jesus commands me to feed my sheep. I think we get caught up again to ourselves. You know, Jesus, God, you know I love you. You know I love you. I love you. But do not hear. Do not listen. Do not get quiet to listen to God's command to us saying, well, then feed my sheep. God doesn't call us to just become a sheep. But He calls us to be a shepherd. Right? He called us to lead a flock. You're not to just become a sheep. And that's what Jesus said to Peter. After said to Peter in verse 22, chapter 22, verse 32 in Luke, He said, But I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. And you, when you... When, when, when once you have turned back, here's his command, strengthen your brothers. You know, and I believe those who suffer, those who struggled more, those who failed more, are better at strengthening the brothers. Don't you think? Don't you agree? Where you have failed, you know how to encourage others. And Jesus said, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers, your sisters. That's, you know, that's basically what it means. You know, what we repeat all the time in life, like, love God, love Jesus, love people, feed my sheep, strengthen brothers and sisters. I told you, you have an assignment, homework for the retreat. There's two parts. I added one. <clears throat> um, first part is where you going to think through those that you encounter daily, or weekly, and those you come across, your family, or friends, or co-workers, or school friends, and, you know, whoever. And you're going to pick five, and you're going to fill out, and you're going to work through, and I have a questionnaire, the homework questionnaire ready in the, uh, in the Google, in the Dropbox. And it's going to have a question, and you're going to have, answer the question, one for each person, the five people. Um, and those are going to be, you know, how can you deepen the relationship to earn the right to be heard, um, how can you share the gospel, not just verbally, but you know by loving the person and whatnot? How can the community come and support you? What can we do to bring him to you know, not, you know get to know the community and hear the gospel? How can we? How can you pray for them? There are going to be those questions. The other part is going to be 
who among your brothers and sisters in the community can you strengthen? You know, who can you support? And I ask you to pick three, and it'll get all mingled up, I'm sure, right? So I'm going to ask you, I have asked you, pick three, how much do you, how well do you know about this person? What can you do to get to know about this person more? What do you know about this person that you can strengthen in their struggles? How can you pray for this person? Because our job, our work, is also to encourage each other, warn each other, as well as going out and sharing the gospel with those outside of us. So, Judas and Peter both studied the same, both received the same, they ended up differently. And, you know, part of that is just grace of God, right? Some of us will hold on to our faith. And I hope all of us hold on to our faith by grace of God. And, and the work is to be here to encourage one another to learn and do it and respond to what you have learned. Love God and love people. Let me pray and we'll break the bread and the cup. Jesus, I pray that all of us are, rather than being afraid of failing, rather than being ashamed of not being where we should be in our relationship with you, um, being guilty about not doing what we're supposed to do, what we think we should do, that we'll, we'll first um, Celebrate you and what you have done and how who you are, that you are faithful when we are faithless. When we fail, you overcome. Help us depend on you and always do what Peter did and just run back to you. Because the best place for us to go is in your arms, which you always receive us because you love us and you call us to go and love people. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.